so this morning, uh, I want to talk about uh, God is greater. God is greater. Our anchor passage is in Daniel chapter 3. We start with verse 17. It says, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not... Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. So I want to try something this morning, uh, see, uh, see how you guys will do on it. I'm going to give you a, we'll do a little call response kind of thing, see how familiar you are with this. So I'll say, God is good, and all the time, all right, all right, you passed, you passed, good job. So you're a true Baptist. So we know that call and response. That's something we're familiar with. I remember doing that even as a, as a kid when I was in church. And that phrase kind of just rolls off the tongue, right? It's easy, uh, easy to say. But what about when life really gets hard? Like when it really gets hard. If we're being honest, it's a little harder to say out loud, God is good when times are really tough. You know, we know, of course we know God is good and that he never changes, and deep down we, we still know that, but even the strongest Christian will struggle from time to time. You know, when you get time, not this morning, but check out Psalm 73, Psalm 73, the psalmist Asaph there, he speaks of a time in his life where he questioned God's presence, he questions God, questions God's control, you know, did he really know what was happening, did God really care and when his heart was hurting and confused and lonely and feeling hopeless, what did he do then? So I encourage you to go check that out in Psalm 73 when you get a moment. And that's a different message for a different time. But today I want to talk about uh, moving from and through these, guilt, these, these difficult times from God is good into God is greater. So good, great greater. We're kind of trying to get two steps ahead here. So hopefully by the time we're done today, we will be there. So sometimes God is greater. It's kind of hard for us to fully grasp. When I show you see this symbol on the wall uh, behind me, how many of you know what that symbol is? Like most of you, well, I've struggled with it all my life. Okay. Ever since I was a kid, I was never really good at math. That was uh, always a challenge for me. And this symbol in particular gave me a lot of issues. So I could never remember if it was greater than or less than. We even had these little tricks, you know, like the alligator eats the bigger number. And like the less than symbol kind of looks like an L. And you have all these things to kind of help you remember it. And, but I could never consistently remember what this symbol meant. And I would think I had it down. And then we'd have this pop quiz or some, some sort of test. And I would completely panic and forget everything like I'd never seen this symbol before in my life. And that's, that was my story, at least. I don't know if any of you struggle with that or not. But I think oftentimes we can be this way about God. You know, we get the concept. We may even go through some scenarios in our head and think, well, if this happens in my life, then I'm definitely going to react this way. You can kind of plan for it. But when you actually put it into practice and something happens in your life unexpectedly, then it kind of trips us up. You know, when something doesn't go our way, we start to question or maybe even panic. We say, is God even greater than this thing that's going on in my life? I know on paper it looks like he's in control, but I really don't feel like he's in control right now. 
And if we're honest with ourselves, we often go through those emotions. And so how do we get to this point so that no matter what happens, we can say with confidence that God is greater? Today I want to look at a pretty familiar passage in Scripture, a pretty familiar story. It's about these three guys named Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So you may know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right, And we'll talk about that here in just a minute. But we'll take us to Daniel chapter 3. We'll start with verse 16, back up just a little bit. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not... Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image that you have set up. I want to focus on three things in this passage this morning to help us to get from God is good to God is great. First one is properly placed allegiance. Second is properly placed faith or trust. And last, we properly placed worship. But before we dig into this passage, I really want to kind of set the scene here. So we're all familiar with the story, uh, probably more of the school, the Sunday school version of it, kind of simplified that, you know, King told them to do something. They said no. He threw them in a furnace. Jesus came in and saved them. Pretty all that true. But sometimes we miss some of those details uh, as, you know, as we should with some of the kids in, in Sunday school. But I want to go back and just kind of set this scene. So kind of the history uh, briefly about what's happening here. All right, Daniel chapter 1 and up through our text is where this is recorded. Uh, Israel has been systematically conquered, captured, and enslaved by the Babylonian Empire. So they've come in waves. This particular wave for this particular need for the kingdom is, uh, is, includes Daniel and his three friends, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they were the smart, good-looking ones. And I'm not just guessing that. The scripture tells us that uh, the king had specifically asked for quick learners and ones without blemish. So they were the smart, pretty people. Right? That's who the king wanted for this particular wave. And normally being like the pick of the litter, if you will, would be a good thing. This case, maybe not so good. So uh, it's not a, a great situation that they were put in. But so they were chosen to serve in the king's palace. As a result, this required a three-year training program that involved, among other things, a name change. And then I'm going to give you a word that I made up. It's eunuchization. So they became eunuchs. Uh, If you know what that is, then if not, look it up. Um, This was to avoid any temptation to devote their time to anything other than the king's service. So they were being indoctrinated with the Babylonian culture. They were taught the language, the customs, and everything in between. Before we move on, I want you to kind of take a moment to let that really sink in and the gravity of this situation, what's happening to these three guys. Imagine being taken from your home by force, being made a slave in a foreign country, your name given to you by God-fearing, God-loving parents and to have significant meaning. Uh, to have meaning towards the God that you worship, but now it's been changed to bring honor to what you most despise, and that's the God that's in direct opposition 
to your God. So I used Zach as, Zach's not here this, in this service, but this morning in Zach, I used him as an example. Uh, I looked up the name that his, uh, what his name means, and the word, uh, the name Zach is derived from the Hebrew word, which is Zakar, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, which means God remembers. So that's a good God-fearing, God-honoring name given to him by God-fearing, God-honoring parents. But what if I changed Zach's name to something that meant servant of Satan or son of Lucifer or something to that extent? You think he'd be real happy about that? Probably, I wouldn't, right? Wouldn't be real happy about that. But let me, look, let, me let you look at these names of these uh, three men. Hananiah, his name meant Jehovah has been gracious. It was changed to Shadrach, which meant keeper of the hidden treasures of Baal, which was an idol at that time, a, a false god. Mishael meant who is like God. It was changed to Meshach, which was a reference to the pagan deity of Marduk. And Azariah meant Jehovah has helped. And his was changed to Abednego, which meant the servant of Nebo, another false god for the Babylonians. Not only were their names changed, but their ability to have a family or descendants or any kind of legacy through their name was removed completely. You know, if we saw something on the news today about this happening, we would be appalled. Right? This is inhuman, it's horrific, and it was. But that was the situation that these three men were in. And we think this last 18 months has been tough on us. Right? This was a really tough situation that them and their families had been placed into. Uh, but there are some key events that happen in the first two chapters of Daniel. But today we're going to find ourselves in chapter 3. So Nebuchadnezzar, the king, has built this enormous statue of himself and commanded everyone in his kingdom to bow down to it, subsequently giving honor to his gods and worshiping him and his gods. The penalty for disobeying was to be thrown in a fiery furnace. A penalty not too many people were willing to accept. So imagine the king's surprise when he finds out not one, but three of his palace servants have allegedly refused to bow down. He's mad, but not unreasonable, right? So he calls the three to his chambers and he asks for himself, Is this true? Do you not serve my gods or worship this golden Image. And before he really even gives them a chance to answer, he goes through this long decree and tells them what they've already heard about what they need to be doing in regards to this statue, reminds them of the consequences of being burned alive in a fiery furnace, and he tags on at the end, what God can deliver you from my hands? So what an arrogant statement from old King Nebuchadnezzar. And that takes us back to our original text. This is where we're at. So let's look at verse 16 again. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. How do you think Nebuchadnezzar felt about that statement? The first thing we see here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego established here where their allegiance lied. They owed the king no explanation for their actions. While they typically obeyed what the king said in all things, this time was different. The command was in direct opposition to their commands from God, the first of two, which we know of the Ten Commandments, to be more specific. Now, the question here is, should we show allegiance to our government, 
to our police force, our bosses, our teachers, etc., anyone that's in a position of authority over us, should we as Christians do that? And we, of course, should. So we look at 1 Peter 2, starting with verse 13. It says, Submit yourselves to every human authority for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and to praise those who do right. For it is the will of God that by doing right you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free people, do not use your liberty as a covering for evil, but live as servants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. This word used in the phrase here, for the Lord's sake, means the channel of an act or to do something through another. Basically, the filter of our allegiance or our service to any authority should be to our allegiance to God. There are other places in the Bible that instruct us to submit to authority. Romans 13, Titus 3 are among those. But none say at the expense of our submission to God. We have multiple examples uh, where we can see where this plays out. Daniel 6, uh, we are familiar with the account of Daniel in the lion's den. In Acts 5, uh, what does Peter tell the Sanhedrin when they tell him that you cannot preach the gospel in this temple? His response was, we must obey God rather than men. So scripture clearly establishes where our allegiance should lie. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood exactly where their allegiance should be. So to truly grasp that God is greater, we must have our allegiance properly placed in him. Not in an institution, not in a political party, not in a person, not even in a church, but in him alone in Christ, with your allegiance truly placed in Christ, then all the others will fall in place from there. Next, we have our properly placed faith and trust. So how many of you like to plan things out? Like you like a pretty solid plan, right? I like to know what's happening. I don't really like the unknown a lot. Um, kind of stresses me out at times. I think the reason over these last, so one of the reasons over these last 18 months that why it's been so difficult for people, because there's just daily changes. Everything is this and that, and we feel like we're out of control. We were never in control in the first place, but we kind of had this feeling of control, and this, the things that have happened in the last 18 months have just kind of highlighted that and reminded us about how little control we really have over what is going on. So, you know, you have masks and vaccines and, and the government, and everything is kind of, feel like it's spinning out of control, right? There's nothing that we can do about it. But I want you to understand throughout all this, these last 18 months and beyond that, God has never, ever for a second lost control. He is in control of everything that is going on. And we should take heart in that, that he is our Savior and he is in control of all this. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did that. When they got up that morning, do you think they planned on being burned in a super hot, fiery furnace? I don't think that was their plan. Now, they weren't oblivious to what was going on. They knew about the decree. They could obviously see the giant statue. But I don't think they got up and said, oh, this is on my checklist today to be burned alive. Right? They got up that morning, and what they planned on doing was serving God. All day, living for God, that was their plan. They even boldly told the king that we will live. Our God will deliver us. But what I want you to understand is they accepted 
that God's plan might be different than theirs was. If not that day, maybe another, they had faith and trusted that God was greater than their plans, whatever they may be. If we look at verse 17, it says, If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. So what I want you to notice here is they, they, did not see, they did not say he will deliver us from the furnace. They did not say he will deliver us from the furnace, but instead they said he is able to deliver us from the furnace, but they followed it up with he will deliver us from your hand, O king. I want you to understand the difference there. And I say this often. I quote Brother Bill on this all the time. He says, when you have a relationship with Christ, the worst thing that can happen to you cannot happen to you. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that. It wasn't about their backbone or their intestinal fortitude, as we kind of try to make that story into, about how big and strong and brave they were to face the king. That's not what it was about. It wasn't about their own resolve. It was about the faithfulness of their God. Their faith was not based on what God would do. Their faith was based on who God was, regardless of the situation. So are there times when we ever think that our plans are greater than God's? Of course not. We wouldn't do that, right? So let me ask you this. Can you remember a time in your life where something didn't exactly work out how you hoped for? Did you blame God or or maybe ask God why he didn't do that? Well, maybe it's a little more personal. Maybe you have someone in your your family, someone that's close to you that's been sick or even died. You ask God, why didn't you heal them? How could you take them from me? In John 11, Mary and Martha had the same response concerning their brother Lazarus. They both said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Have you ever been in that situation in your life? God, where were you? I know you have the power to stop this, but you didn't show up. Where were you? Like we often do, Mary and Martha put their plan above Jesus's. They put their plan above his promise to never leave them or forsake them. They got their less than and greater than symbols mixed up. They forgot that Jesus was not only in control of the afterlife, but he was also in control of the here and now. He was in control of everything, and he could see the big picture, the picture that their eyes couldn't see. And he reminded them in verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Lazarus's first physical death, think about that phrase, his first physical death was to bring honor and glory to God. Even though it wasn't Mary and Martha's plan, or Lazarus's for that matter. God is greater than our plans. Centuries later, Paul would write the words that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego already knew. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. So this doesn't mean that everything is going to be rainbows and butterflies and sunshine and everything is going to be awesome and you're going to have everything you wanted. 
and, and this life on this earth. If someone told you that's what the Christian life is like, then they lied to you. Jesus said in John 15, don't be surprised if the world hates you. They hated me first. Do not be surprised. If others see Jesus in you as they should, you are going to face some hatred in this world. Things in this world are not always pleasant. However, Jesus goes on in chapter 16 to say, and I'm paraphrasing, cheer up, don't let these things get you down because I've got good news for you. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood that no matter what happened to them on that faithful day in the furnace, it was not the end for them. The worst thing that could ever happen to them could never happen to them. They had already won regardless of the outcome of that day. They had properly placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let me explain the difference in perspective here. Uh, If you look at a lost person's perspective, it's probably something a little like this. There's a beginning and an end, a whole bunch of random stuff in between. There's some pleasure, there's some sadness, some melancholy, etc., Uh, The stuff at the end I'm not really sure about. I try not to really think about it much. It's probably generally the attitude of a lost person. But for someone who believes in Christ and has their life secured in him, it's completely different. We see it as a physical beginning, a spiritual beginning, a bunch of stuff in the middle that should point to Christ. Sometimes we have setbacks, sometimes we fail along the way, but nothing that will change our eternal destination. But our endings look quite a bit different. Our life is really in three phases. We have phase one, which is our physical life here on earth. Phase two is our our life after death with Jesus. Scripture tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then finally, phase three is our eternal home with Christ when this place is made new. Now, when this is our perspective on life, the things that we have to deal with in phase one really aren't that significant anymore. Our plans begin to seem less and less important. God's plan for us becomes the driving force for our lives. Not to mention, the better we understand this perspective, the greater our sense of urgency should be for those that are lost. Without that new life in Christ, their eternity looks completely different than ours does, and it's not a good look. There is such peace in our lives when we have properly placed our faith and trust in our Savior and His unchanging promises. Finally, this last verse, I want you to notice the properly placed worship. Properly placed worship. Verse 18, it says, But if not, Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Now, we don't serve other gods, right? We don't worship golden images. And in a sense, we don't. Uh, We don't necessarily have, you know, gold statues on every corner that we're bowing down to. That's not really a, a kind of a normal thing in America. In parts of the world, it may be. Uh, But while we don't have these types of temples, uh, don't be deceived. We have gods, little g, gods. Now, our gods may be on baseball fields or football fields or basketball courts or dance studios or the latest trends in social media. Uh, You know, our gods get paid millions of dollars to throw a ball, swing a stick, sing. 
um, act out some sort of fantasy uh, on the screen that we can watch. Uh, those are our gods. Maybe our god is the woods. Maybe our god is the lake. Maybe our god is the garage. Maybe our gods live in our house with us, our spouse, our kids, maybe even our pets. Our gods may even stand behind a pulpit. The list goes on and on, and if I left your God out, I apologize. But what I want you to understand is in this running list of who's who and what's what in your life, if anything goes above that number one spot where God should be, then that is your God. And you are worshiping an, an idol. Right? Our gods and our God cannot be in the same position. See, when it comes to our God, there is no greater than or less than symbol or greater than or equal to. It is just greater than. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus himself tells us, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You have to make a choice. Jesus goes on in Luke 14, starting with verse 26, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Does God want us to hate our family? Of course he doesn't. He commands us to love and honor them. What Jesus is saying here to the crowds that have begun to follow him is when you follow Jesus, you have to make a decision. You have to make a decision and understand that everything else in your life has to be less than him. That's what he was telling them. You must decide that God is greater than your gods, whoever and whatever those gods may be. Jesus goes on to say in verse 33, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. When that greater than or less than sign spins around, the greater than sign spins around and becomes a less than sign, your worship your affection, your devotion has been misplaced. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood these words. The one who spoke these words so many centuries later stood with them in the fire that day, none of them being burned. This time, God spared them from the torments of the sinful world, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not going to bend, even if he hadn't. Even if he hadn't. They said, but if not... Let it be known to you, O king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had properly placed worship. Can you imagine the worship that broke out on that day when they walked out of that fire? Not a hair on their head burned. They didn't even smell like smoke. Can you imagine? The, the king decrees publicly that we will worship their God. That must have been a pretty amazing worship service, right? Can you imagine the worship that would have broken out if they would have been taken home to eternity that day? 
They didn't know where they would worship God that day. They just knew they weren't worshiping any other. Now, in studying this, I noticed something that I had, I had not noticed before. And uh, there was one thing, and it's in the details, there was one thing that I noticed that didn't come out of the fire. Presumably, it was burned up. And those were the ropes that were used to bind them. Now, I couldn't help but think that having Jesus in the fire with you makes a pretty big difference. Where Jesus is, there's no bondage. We're free from sin and the penalty it carries. This world can throw whatever it wants at us, but they cannot take our Jesus away from us. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Romans 6, 17 and 18 says, But thanks be to God, for you were slaves to sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of teaching to which you were entrusted and have been freed from sin to become the slaves of righteousness. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they made a choice. Not when the decree was made to worship the golden idol. Not when they were brought before the king, not even when they were being thrown into the fire furnace. They made a decision long ago that no matter what, God would be greater. Period. Greater than any other gods, greater than a golden idol, greater than the trials in their life, greater than the fears they would face, greater than the threat of death, greater than death itself. They properly placed their allegiance in Christ. They properly placed their faith and trust in Christ. And they properly placed their worship in Christ. And Christ placed himself in the fire there with them. God is good. And all the time. But even if he does not, be it known to you, O king, our God is greater.